I want to go back to Romans chapter 8 and just a few thoughts on, on that. That is once again a chapter that you cannot, or a portion of the chapter that you cannot exhaust in a single sermon. I'm going to read then from verse 31. <clears throat> verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. <clears throat> who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. May he help us to understand what we have read. To his name be glory and honor. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. Today is our glorious privilege to celebrate the Lord's table. In the sacrament of Holy Communion, we are assured of the fact that the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us from sin and death and also to put us in a right relationship with the Father was indeed sufficient to turn the wrath of God away from those who deserve, which is us, of course, to be eternally punished. One of the creeds of the Reformed faith, the Belgian Confession, states the following about the sacraments. It says there, we believe that our glorious God, on account of our weakness and infirmities, have, has ordained the sacraments for us, thereby to seal unto us his promises and to be pledges of the good will and grace of God toward us, and also to nourish and strengthen our faith, which he has joined to the word of the gospel, the better to present to our senses both that which he signifies by his word 
and what which he works inwardly in our hearts. These, the sacraments, are visible signs and seals of an inward and invisible thing by means whereof God works in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it say? It says this. God ordained that we would have the word, but sometimes in the flow of the year we have with the word also signs, things that we can see, we can touch, we can taste, so that as we think about what they signify, the word of God is once again preached to us so that we will understand that. Now the things, the signs of the sacrament, they are pledges of God in the sense that God says these things, they mean things. They mean something. And it seals to us who take that with faith and by faith what they signify. Another uh, creed, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, states this about the Lord's Supper. And, and I think it might be a good day, a good thing, and one day we come back and look at all these things and just take them apart and we see where they come from. But it says, He, He, that is God, wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit we share in His true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of Him. And second, that His all-suffering and, uh, and obedience, that His suffering and His obedience are certainly ours. Now listen to this. As if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. Now the only thing is this. We couldn't. We couldn't pay for our sins. But it is, when I take that, when I take the, the, the bread in, when I take the wine in my hands, it is almost as if this happened to me. But by faith, I put my life in the, in the hands of Christ who, who did that and who did that sufficiently and perfectly so that the wrath of God is met in his perfect sacrifice. Now these are glorious statements, speaking of an even more glorious truth, namely God's glorious gift of security in Jesus Christ. And that is what we want to look at this morning. Now what, when Paul writes to sum up his debate with both heathens and Jews, coming from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 8 verse 30, is now under the scope of the next paragraph, and it is a summary or a conclusion of what he had argued up to this point. Now, I'm not going to uh, go through all of that in detail, but in chapter 1 of Romans he says that we are utterly corrupt, suppressing the truth, following the lie in order to justify our sin. Chapter 2. God has the right to judge mankind because of its sinfulness, even if man would believe, like the Jew, 
that you can work out your own righteousness. Chapter 3. There is no one without sin, and all are condemned to hell if God does not show mercy and grace to us. Chapter 4. It is wrong to think that Abraham was a man of good character, and therefore God chose him because of his righteousness. We read in the Bible there that God showed mercy to him even before the covenant of circumcision and even before the law. So it is all grace of God. Verse, uh, chapter 5. It says we are all children of Adam, of, of Adam and therefore we are born enemy of God. You see, it stacks it up. We're born in sin. We are sinful. We suppress the truth. God has the right to, just, to, to, to uh, uh, punish us. We cannot work out our righteousness. We are enemy of God. It all stacks up. And then in chapter 5, good news. God sent his son to die on our behalf and in our place to rescue us from eternal death. Then chapter 6 applies that. Saved by grace, we are now called to live in a new relationship with him where we give ourselves completely to his service, turning our backs on unrighteousness. Chapter 7, what happens if you've got this, 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 this uh, war within when you try to do the good thing and you can't, and when you sometimes don't want to do the bad thing, but you do it. What, how, do we, how do we deal with that then as Christians? The end of that chapter, but thanks be to God who in Jesus Christ we have Christ as our Redeemer who fulfilled our righteousness. Chapter 8, more good news. What's that? God gave us His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit lives within us, applying in us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. And He testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And He now intercedes for us at the throne of the Father. He prays for us and He teaches us how to pray. All these things are the good news now, the conclusion of it all. The glorious security we have from it. First thing, we have the gift of the Son of God. It says there, God has not spared His own Son. He has not spared His own Son. Let's read that again. Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? How do you know that God is for us? Well, he did not spare his own son. That's how we know. He, he, he was so committed to saving us that he gave away his own son. 
our Lord Jesus Christ, who took upon him willingly the task of being condemned by the Father so that we may be saved. What's the effect of that? No one can bring in any, any charge against us. God gave us his son. Why? Well, it says there in John 3.16, you know that immediately I say John 3.16, the light goes on, isn't it? In your mind. For, you want to say that with me? Okay, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not die but have died. Okay, you know that. That's the gift. The gift of his son. What does it say? God is for us. You know, there are verses in the Old Testament and many, many of them stacked up in, 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 in a charge against Israel who turned their backs in rebellion against God. Against God. And you read the prophets, the most, most of what Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all these people write about is about the fact that God brought a charge against his people because they became rebellious. And the charge against them is that God is now not for you anymore, but God has become your enemy. Go and read that. Some people say, well, we can't read that in the Bible anymore because God is God of love. Well, God is a God of love, but he becomes to us the one who gave his son away because of our rebellion. It would not be necessary if we were good. We're not good. God is for us. How do you know that? He gave his son. How do you know that? Read that in the Bible. True. More specifically today, how do you know that? Look at the wine and the bread. You see, with the word comes that visible sign to reinforce to us this thing of the love of God. Then the gift of justification. It says there, who will bring in any charge against those whom God has chosen? If it is God who justifies. God who justifies. Now the point is this. If God gave us his son to redeem us and his son's sacrifice is complete in the eyes of God, who will bring in a charge against those whom God loves? It just makes... It makes complete sense to argue that way. However, our sinful thoughts uh, that 
Yes, maybe we can bring a charge in ourselves. Or maybe we can allow the devil to bring in a charge. Well, you can't. God already accepted the sacrifice of his own son. Jesus died for us. He was raised to life. And he intercedes for us as our advocate at the throne of the Father. Now, if all of this is true, and we know that is true, why do we know that is true? The Bible says that, and also the sacrament of of the Holy Communion in the the wine and the bread, that tells the story. Question now is, can anyone bring a charge that will stand and will hold against God's children? No? Okay. That is an unspeakable gift, isn't it? It's another gift. The gift of love. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ? Is there someone who can come in between us and the Lord to to separate us from that love? Remember how hopeless we were? We were in no state of doing anything for ourselves. Like all the people, we are sinful, rebellious, we are enemy of God. Like Abraham, we cannot work out our own righteousness. But then God changed our hopelessness to hope. And Eden's gate were opened again, was opened again, and a new life is possible now. And now because it is firmly anchored, not in our own effort, but in what God provided in Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit, redemption is not something which one has one day, and the next day you've lost it. We cannot say... You know, like people say, there's a daisy theology. You know the daisy theology? When you sometimes, I think the girls, do, they do it more than the boys do. You know, you, 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 you take the little petals and you say, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Can we say that about God? That one day maybe he loves me, maybe uh, the other day I don't feel like, no, he doesn't love me. And I hope I've got enough little petals to end up with the one that says, he loves me. No, nothing can separate us from the love in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? It is sealed in the cross. It is sealed in his resurrection. It is sealed in the fact that he now is at the throne of God and he intercedes for us. He knows us by name. He intercedes for you, intercedes for me. He intercedes for every member of the church so that no one will be lost at the time of his return. He says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. The severe things he talk about here. It's almost as he talks about war, isn't it? Persecution and famine. When you're naked and when you're hungry and when you face the sword and when you face danger, you might think, God has forgotten me. 
he doesn't love me anymore. You know, you pull those little petals here and you say, no, he doesn't love me today. It doesn't look like that. And it says, yes, he does. The Christian is not exempt of the pain of this world. But the Christian is never separated from the love of God. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It's something that we need to learn. It is something that we need to understand. There's another gift that's a gift of victory. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The statement, through him who loves us, is too much to comprehend or even fathom. All things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because he conquered all things. And his love, as we see it not only in the Bible, as not only as we hear it at the Bible preached, but as we take the communion with our hands and say, this is his body, this is his blood, this is what he did because he loved us. Then I say, and by faith we need to sing a song I am convinced. He writes in, in Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter six, verse four to ten, these things. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. That is the language of someone who understands what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall anything separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Paul had experience of all these things. He was imprisoned. He was in hardship. He was in shipwreck. He was sick. He was hungry. He was all these things he, may, he, he went through. And then he says, 
I am convinced. I am convinced. He does not say, well, I hope so. He does not say, I guess, you ask me. He said, I'm convinced. It's a passive tense. It says, something did something to change my mind on this. God did something in Jesus Christ, and he held me in his hand, and now when I look at all these things, I am convinced. I'm persuaded. I am sure. That's why he says, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He said, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll give my life. His life was in constant danger because he had this absolute sure knowledge. Nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That is the gift of comfort. I'm not... He said, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, or nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor, de- nor, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I grew up, there was a little song in... in um, in Afrikaans, I was about a little mouse. He considered himself to be very uh, brave, and he said, "There's nothing, nothing that I that I can't face." And of course, someone said about then whispered in his ear, and he said, "Now, uh, what about the cat?" And he says. Uh, well, apart from that cat then, there's nothing that I fear. And he sings his little song, marching up and down the house, there's nothing in the world that I fear. Well, apart from the cat. And then, what about the trap? Well, he says... Apart from the cat, and apart from the trap then, there's nothing in the world that I fear. And he walks up and down the house. And then all things that could scare a mouse was whispered to him. And the last verse of this is, apart from the cat, and apart from the trap, and apart from this, and apart from that, and apart from this, and apart from that, and apart from that, and apart from that, there's nothing in the world that I'm scared of. A Christian doesn't say that. There are no exceptions to the fact that there is nothing, listen to this, anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Look at the communion table. You see the wine, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread, the body of Christ, the Passover lamb. 
He turned hopelessness, rebellion, immoral enemies of God into sons of God. All his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. The only truth here is we couldn't, but by faith we accept what he did for us. When you take that wine and that bread today, you say, what? Apart from this, and apart from that, and apart from that, and apart from that, I think nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No. You say, because of this, I believe there's nothing in all of creation that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father, we now pray that you will give us that obedient faith, a bold faith that today will say, whatever this world can throw at us will never bring any condemnation, will, will, will not uh, be a charge or anything that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to sing the song of joy. Thank you for the glorious security you've given us and for the gift that we could look at this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.